This is Soundtrack, a music podcast about the music that impacts our lives. Every episode is a conversation of how music has shaped and influenced one's life. Because music is the soundtrack to everyone's story. Soundtrack is hosted by Kyle Lichty. Hey everyone, I'm here with Nate Utesh. How's it going? Uh, going great. Thanks for having me. Yeah. are you, You're in Fort Wayne at the moment? I am indeed. Nice. I'm here in Grand Rapids, uh, Michigan. And I don't know if you remember this, but we uh, met uh, through our mutual friend, Zach, at a M83 concert. Yeah, yeah I do. It was awesome. And uh, Ben Hebner was yeah. there. Yeah, yep. Uh, I've known him as well for a while. Uh, so that was, uh, talk about an amazing concert right yeah that was i mean that was awesome as well i don't remember if we talked about this but it was kind of like a a make good for me on m83 because i had seen them a couple years before in chicago and it was awful for whatever reason it was just awful so my expectations were like very low but yet like hoping to god it was going to be a good show and it was maybe one of the best shows i've ever seen in my life so yeah (laughs) it was so good yeah it was one of the best shows I've ever seen too. I'm curious, why was it the Chicago show so bad? I'm trying to remember what album cycle it would have been, but it was at the Empty Bottle, pretty small, which was, I thought would be great, but for some reason I just felt like we, it was mixed so weirdly that I was only hearing acoustic instruments from the stage really loud unmixed and no synthesizers electronics or backing tracks so it was just really loud drums and guitars his voice just kind of buried in it. it it was like a it felt like a weird cover band of m83 minus synthesizers um which, so is, just like, which is so important to them yes yeah, so <laughs> important and maybe it was saturday's equal youth what was it hurry up we're dreaming that was the one that we went to so it must have been the one before that. And man, it was just every song was like, oh, please tell me I'm just in like a bad mood tonight. And this is actually awesome. But <laughs> it was not. It was so bad. That's that's crazy. Yeah. But man, like, it was it was dialed in a couple of years later. That is no yeah. joke. Well, that's when they like hit their prime of popularity. Yeah. So right, I, I right. wonder if they just had better. Maybe budget people. had something to do with it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I don't know. Some, I mean, a good mixer is really important to have at a at a live show. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Otherwise, I'm sure you know that as a musician. Right. <laughs> so, you've kind of been all over growing up. You were you born in Illinois, but you ended up with your family in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Through your childhood, bands like Tears for Fears, Fleetwood Mac, and Pink Floyd. Yeah, were, big time were huge for you and I'm, I'm curious how did that come about was it through family or you know some type of friend or right. what was that and then that music was always around you that was kind of like a something that you were constantly listening to and talk about what that was like mm-hmm The answer to both of those are so largely related, and that is that I have really musical parents, which is just such an awesome, fortunate thing 
to have. I feel really lucky. My dad is a musician, was in bands his entire life. He was, you know, pursued a music career right up until his college, which is near where I came into view. And so, I mean, I even got to hear his recordings of his band and stuff that influenced him. And my mom plays piano. My mom taught me piano lessons herself when I was little. So, you know, not only did they like music, they really absorbed it and soaked it up. And it was just a part of their being and thus became a part of mine for sure. So, you know, when my dad would put on something like, yes, Tales from Topographic Oceans, it wasn't just because he was needing something to do the dishes to. It was because I had to sit over there and look at the jacket with him as he would explain why this is important and why it's meaningful. And, you know, as as I ebbed and flowed in my childhood and adolescence, I didn't always love that. And sometimes it made me know what music I didn't want to listen to. Sometimes it was the opposite, you know, but those kind of like proggy bands have such a great nostalgic presence in my life. And I love them because of that, because of the way my dad introduced them to me. Tears for Fears, I think was an influence of my mom and my dad. I I can even think of an old VHS tape. Uh, We used to live in Southern California and it was um, my dad just filming things in the city after we had moved there, just kind of maybe to show family back at home or something. And the entire time songs from the big chair is playing in a cassette (laughs) in the car. And it's just to watch it now, like he, I don't know if he thought specifically about that then, but now it's like this great soundtrack to even that moment. I remember it from that era of my life vividly. And then to relive it that way is just awesome. Enya was another one. I I wish I knew which parent liked it. I want to say my mom, but I think they they both did it. We had a a drawer and a shelf in our enter- entertainment center that had LPs and cassettes. Mm. And cassettes especially were easier for me uh, in my young younger years right. to just go through all the time constantly putting in cassettes and I remember Watermark being such a huge one. I mean this was before I was even interested in playing music and being a musician. It was just for whatever reason the the sounds, her voice, the way it kind of soundtracked the room. I just loved Enya so much. And then it became corny as I grew up. And now kind of in my adulthood, it's like, man, I had Enya as a, a young child. That's crazy. I'm so lucky. I, I love Enya as corny as she can be sometimes. It's yeah. just, you know, Enya, Enya is incredible. So I actually know your dad. Um, <laughs> oh, amazing. So, so for me, I'm curious, like, what kind of music was his band making and what kind of impact that that had on him? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I wish I knew a fuller story of that, but the, the picture that I know is, is kind of the last era of that pursuit. And it was a band called Willow Rock and very, not super proggy, but very kind of influenced by kind of psychedelic Americana wishbone ash i mean pink pink floyd's not out of the realm of it but maybe a little more guitars and less experimentation but okay um and he played guitar background vocals and they had a studio um and a lot of times he would just go in there after hours or between larger projects that the band was working on and just record himself just demos for the hell of it and i have those as well whether it's just him being silly and speeding up the tape so he sounds like a 
chipmunk and putting layers of like chipmunk vocals on it or stuff on <laughs> piano, stuff on guitar. Really close friend of his during that season of his life was an incredible pianist and he has some recordings of him as well playing. So it's awesome just to think, I mean, I can really relate to that in my own life of like seasons where I've had access to a studio or just like recording things for no reason at all, but to just get it out of your head. And the fact that I have those tapes of my own father is insane. Yeah. It's just, it's crazy. It's really cool. Yeah. As you're growing up, so more middle school, high school years, you're really delving into more punk rock, hardcore, even yeah. some new metal, right? <laughs> uh, which is prime time. I'm, I'm assuming you were you graduated in the late '90s. Yep, 2000. I graduated. Oh, 2000. Okay, which is prime new metal. <laughs> right. Right. Oh yeah. <laughs> How did that turn take place for you to listening to that type of music? Yeah. You know what's funny? I was thinking about that. Like where kind of where that transition happened. I mean, part of it is just this natural evolution of you know a child and their parents especially when parents love music then your music becomes kind of a save as on that music but just like a couple clicks angrier or something i feel yeah. like that's that's what yeah. every generation does so it it was not hard to get from you know pink floyd or yes to punk rock in a lot of ways but it was funny because i you know I was, I was raised in a religious home but it was kind of this weird situation where yeah, we were, it was strict in ways that it classically would be in a Midwestern religious home, but also because of my dad's, I think, love for music. He kind of didn't have boundaries when it came to music. I mean, he did and he didn't, but it was like, one of the first things I ever learned how to play on the guitar was Marilyn Manson's Beautiful People. And I loved Manson. I loved that record so much. And my parents just didn't have a problem with that, where like, I had peers whose parents were snapping those records in half you know i, I remember there was yeah. when, when manson came to fort wayne the like youth groups in town like picketed or something at the coliseum yeah. like, it was absurd but my parents like even in that kind of like you know just uptight 90s christian bullshit that happens <laughs> uh we're just okay with any music and it was awesome and i'm so glad that they allowed that for me, even even in an environment that was religious, that that music just kind of was more about me finding myself and being inspired. Yeah. And if that was Manson, so be it. And I think they trusted that I, you know, wasn't going to be a Satan worshiper at the end of it all. And <laughs> I'm not, so it worked out. But <laughs> I, I remember we had this like Christian music store. I, this was probably everywhere in America, but the Christian music store where there was a chart hanging on the wall where you could look at a secular artist and then follow this line on this chart to, well, here's the Christian artist that we yeah. recommend. Um, so that's how I found bands like MXPX, Zayo, Training for Utopia. I mean, you probably know the client, all those like mid nineties, like punk rock and yeah. tooth and nail records, solid state records. I was just going to mention those two kind of were the prime, like, labels to allow christian listeners to kind of listen to something that wasn't worship music right, right, right exactly right? so it's like I've, i felt like i kind of got a good slice of a lot of different things because i mean I, I was in a punk rock band at the time and like fat records epitaph records like ruled my life I, I all of that strung out was 
my favorite band of all time in like the height of high school but to have like tooth and nail on the other side doing similar things and finding fruit in that was also great by the end of high school i had kind of i was really really into new metal deftones who still somehow remain one of my favorite bands a lot of the other bands have fallen off since then probably for the best but yeah Zeo as well, you know, a band who has actually kind of been incredible to watch evolve as well, because, you know, they started quite Christian and have just really kind of also found themselves as members have changed and their own beliefs have changed. They've just kind of been really honest with fans about where they are. And that's kind of like a similar path that my life has gone down. So to have Zeo kind of there all along and just be making great music regardless of if they're, you know, trying to save people's souls or not has been yeah. cool to watch in them. It's like, there's a lot of overlap for you. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. During this time, how was this music uh, like an identity marker for you in your own personal life? Yeah. It's, I think that, I mean, largely I think adolescence, you know, just being like a teenager, if you can find, you know, milestones in your life that you love, that becomes your identity in a lot of ways. It's just how we're wired, I think. But being in a band during that time, it was like, okay, I'm in a band and we play punk, we play metal. Therefore, the only music that I can listen to is punk and metal. I'm a punk rock kid. I have to act like a punk rock kid. It's just all those check boxes. But, you know, but I'm also a youth group kid. So it's like <laughs> a juxtaposition at times and it's silly, but... Yeah, you know, I think to be 16 and to be in a band, to be in a family that really encouraged that, uh, to have friends that loved the music I did, I just found so much identity in my music. The music I loved, the music I played, for sure. During uh, high school, you were playing the sax for jazz band as well. Yeah, and, yep. Which is pretty cool. You you played that uh, even in... Uh, your band Metavari at times right. I've seen. Like, how did you come across the saxophone and what has that instrument meant to you personally? Yeah, good question. So I'm trying to think when that started. It was probably middle school, I think. Parents saw that there was a music program offered and without too much pressure, we're just like, hey, we want you to try it. Pick an instrument. Let's do it. If it doesn't work, stop anytime. But at that point, I didn't even play guitar. I hadn't played anything other than piano. So I chose sax, and I don't know why. I'd, there was no influence of that in my childhood. I think I just liked the look and the sound of it. It felt sexy. You know, it felt <laughs> handsome. <laughs> so I went with sax and ended up playing it for eight years. Didn't really get any good at it, but I loved it. And then kind of put it on a shelf for a long time until Medivari. And then not even in the early days of Medivari, I can't remember what record it would have been, but we were like, hey, sax would be cool here. I'm like, I, there was a, another life where I knew how to play saxophone. Let's see if it'll work. I don't know that it worked great, but I, I still play it now. <laughs> wow. What about like artists or, you know, compositions that stood out to you? Yeah, you know, I I was thinking about that, especially because, you know, it was almost like these divisions in my life where, you know, a band is typically not cool to be in, yeah. even jazz band. So I'm like this youth group kid that's wanting to play punk and metal, which has its own 
problems in it. But then I'm also loving jazz bands so much. And it's just, just this goofy thing where I literally felt like I was leading two lives. I didn't play saxophone in the band. I didn't even talk about it. You know, I, it was just these two lives. And it's so funny how that works as an adolescent, the things you're embarrassed by or whatever. But that's the way it was. But I I remember vividly this one record in particular that our band teacher would always play when we were getting ready. And it's funny, as I was trying to recall what that was, I couldn't remember the name of it. I was I knew it was Weather Report. And I was clicking through like songs because every now and then I'll hear it somewhere and instantly it brings back all these memories of mm-hmm. that time. And I I'm I think it's just the first track on their album Black Market. And it's probably just because that was the one song I heard the most. Um, because we'd never get all the way through the record by the time we were ready to start class. So the first track impacted me the most, but it was because it had so many other voices in it than just typical, you know, wind instruments, a lot of synth, a lot of textures. And I just remember as soon as he would put it on, it was like, oh yeah, here's that that black market record. Like it's just so cool. And just for those eight years or whatever, just hearing that record, associating that band with that time with him, he was crazy and it's just so cool. And yeah, I, I don't own that record, but since Spotify, since streaming, I play it a lot, especially the first track now that I know what it is. And yeah, just a weird little kind of like side plot in that season of my life was stuff like Herbie Hancock and Weather Report and fusion and jazz and funk and not just like typical jazz standards that we were playing in the band. Yeah. Well, I feel like that's so you (laughs) (laughs) good awesome (laughs) to you know for of these differences even within that genre that were appealing to you it just it makes sense to me (laughs) that's cool i love that that's awesome yeah (laughs) during this time too tv movies not necessarily the the acting or the writing, although that might be the right, case. Right. But it, no, yeah, it was the soundtracks to those mm-hmm. TV shows. So, for example, Twin Peaks, uh, right? David, David Lynch, other films as well are are really uh, resonating with you. How did that like? I mean, because this is what this was during high school, right? Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's. To me, I, I feel like that's unusual. What? How did that uh, come about? Man, I, I can really chalk that up to my dad as well. I feel like I, I, I'm just so fortunate to have a dad who loved weird stuff and loved watching kids just, his kids just find themselves in that art. And if that meant an R-rated movie before you were 17, fine, uh, watch it, but be careful. You know, that that mm-hmm. was kind of how it went, which was so not like the parents of my youth group friends, which which made my house a very fun house to be at on Friday night sometimes. Yeah. But it was just like, yeah, I remember my dad showing me Twin Peaks. It was the, weirdly, you could rent the pilot episode of that show in the early 90s because that pilot episode was cut as a standalone movie for European audiences in the event that the show wouldn't get greenlit. And that VHS tape was in a lot of, you know, movie rental stores. So I remember once he coming across and going, Oh man, this 
I remember this. You're going to love this. We're going to watch this show. It was crazy. Everything about it, the the music, the the art direction. I had seen Dune already at the time. So I kind of like was vaguely familiar with David Lynch, which was weird that my entry to him would be Dune because everybody hates it and he may even disown it, but I loved it. I Dune was one of the first like books that was more adult that I had ever read. So I felt this kind of like affinity with it. And then therefore David Lynch, because I associated Dune with him as well. So now I'm getting this TV show from him and it was nuts. And so I would constantly rent that pilot episode and make my friends watch it and then rent Firewalk With Me movie and make my friends watch it. And that was the only thing we had seen forever, just the pilot episode in the movie, which have so many spoilers in it. We knew so much about the show before we had ever seen the second episode because of those two VHS tapes, but mm-hmm. ended up buying the whole series from Suncoast Motion Pictures at, at our mall on VHS yes. and have it to this day. It's like one of my most prized possessions is the VHS set of Twin Peaks. And we just blasted through that thing. And now at this point, I'm like fully considering myself a musician because I'm in like a, a band, regardless of like, you know, that band's success or my prowess as a musician. So like hearing a soundtrack, it meant something different to me than it did prior to like being in a band and especially hmm. getting to know who Angelo Badalamenti was and right. thinking about scores were just like so important. And Twin Peaks was just such a big thing because then it became like my thing. That was the thing that Nate would show you if you'd spent the night at his house. That was like Nate's weird movie that he's constantly making you watch <laughs> and he's constantly referencing and just like found so much identity in Lynch and in Twin Peaks in high school because it was like quickly like the thing that I was trying to stake claim to that you couldn't like because I liked it first or whatever that we all do. But it's great. I mean, even now, like uh, Lynch has not left my life for 20 years and then some, and I love it. He's he's insane. A yeah. second father in so many ways, <laughs> which is maybe <laughs> disturbing, but he is, he is. I, man, even a, oh, I don't remember when this was, a couple holidays ago around Christmas, my dad drew my name and actually for my gift, he wrote David Lynch a letter explaining what he had been to, what he meant to his son, to me, and like mailed it to him to see if he would like get David Lynch to reach out to me. He did it. Nothing came of it, but it was like, yes, that's amazing. Yeah. Of course, that would be the the dad that let me watch Firewalk with me. I mean, there's so many boobs in these movies alone. It's like that. I mean, that's part of it, too. It's like we're 16 we're all in youth group. We're all like suppressed, but, but Nate's dad is letting you watch the movies with boobs in it. So let's, <laughs> let's, do, let's do that this Friday. <laughs> so ridiculous. But So with your band Menavari, I cannot help but ask constantly throughout your, the records, there is this soundtrack feel or element to each of those records. And I'm curious if someone like David Lynch's work of Twin Peaks and these other soundtracks, if that's what influenced you as a musician? Man, I mean, it, it is in a lot of ways, but it's something that I don't think I really acknowledged at first. Like, mm. that, you know, movies and, and music are easy to just kind of be this thing that kind of like divides culture in your adolescence. You like put them in buckets and you're, this kind of kid that likes these movies and whatever. And, and that was me, you know, good or bad. I, I had 
movies that I didn't like simply because that's not what this kind of me as this kind of person should like, you know, it's just so stupid, but yeah. that's what it was. So I, but it introduced me to even uh, electronic music at that time that I wouldn't have heard. Otherwise, I remember when Pi came out, I was a junior maybe, and it was just riddled with electronic music, which I had associated with dance and rave culture, yeah. which was not something that overlapped with me, but it was like kind of opening my eyes to ways that electronic music could also shape sound and emotion and, and be experimental. And I think as Metavari was happening and we chose to be instrumental and kind of dwell on thematic changes and cinematic swells and things like all of that, that mixing pot of all those films, all those bands are, are swirling in me. And I may not have like blatantly said Battle Menti or the score from Akira or something in that moment, but like years later, it's like, oh yeah, that's, I mean, that's exactly why. I mean, now it, I've, I've like referenced it. I'm, I'm pulling from that stuff all the time as I've felt like I'm, I've understood where I am in that music now. But at, at first it was like, flailing a little bit but it absolutely was influenced by movie as much as it was music post high school you you're the garage band that you were part of kind of fell apart fell, yep. fell away and yet you kind of have this really cool kind of moment where you're starting to maybe step outside of your your usual taste in music like the right. punk rock and the, the hardcore yeah th and there was an awakening <laughs> yeah we'll talk about that what was I mean, what was that this band broke up i soon after meet my now wife and it's just kind of this like in between zone where i'm not playing i'm not pursuing music which had not been when music had been such a big part of my life for so many years right. but i'm like falling in love i'm in college you know i'm not living at home and i'm one of my favorite bands of all time releases this record that is not like anything I'd heard before. And that was Deftones and White Pony. And it's still so very much Deftones, but it's like, it's electronic and it's just crazy amounts of experimentation for them, yeah. like reverb and vocals and just, it's wild. And it's, and the production quality on it is, is better than any record I had owned up until then. And simultaneously I'm being introduced by my, my friend and and also like i i now have friends that weren't necessarily friends because he's the drummer in my band he's because he's just my childhood friend and we're in, at school together or whatever and as a, a selfish teenager and a selfish adolescent a lot of times i think when we're in bands or we're like in this like tight knit whatever pursuing something whether it's sports or music or who knows what like that's that's where we pull our influence and our friendships from mm -hmm. and all of a sudden that was gone so i'm like inadvertently allowing myself to just kind of like see the world differently and i'm in like a matter of months introduced to not just white pony but fuse shape of punk to come radiohead kid a yeah. york homogenic apex twin like the later nine inch nails record Sigarose, and it's just like that the post-rock stuff is entering my life, more electronic music that's not rave culture is entering my mm -hmm. life. And 
I'm not listening to it thinking, oh, how can I pull this off in a band because I'm finally not in a band. I'm just listening to it, letting it change me. Um, how everyone else listens to music. I'm not like this selfish idiot anymore that's just like trying to figure out how to make music. I'm just absorbing it. Those like first couple years of college, those friendships, that that music was just incredibly, it, it, it felt like life changing in a weird way because I was listening to music without any kind of purpose. Like it, I wasn't studying it because I was getting ready to perform something similar to it. It was just, I don't know, this just open hole in, in my head for anything that could fit in there finally, which is just kind of goofy to say. And maybe it's something that doesn't make sense to people that, that weren't like selfish teenage musicians. But for some reason, I just didn't allow anything else in there when I was younger. It was just, yeah only stuff that would directly influence what my output was going to be, which is so strange. But it, I think it, I was also like, as well as like being changed in my musical tastes, it kind of taught me uh, like in an absurd way, like how to listen to music better as I would be in bands after that. Yeah. I don't know. It, it, it was a, a really in, incredible time of those like kind of formative years for sure i'm just curious like you know so you mentioned some of these artists that you were listening to what specifically about some of these other artists music that was so appealing to you like uh whether it was radiohead or cigaros what was like because even radiohead with kid a was a huge shift from what they were yeah right right yeah and i mean it's like Maybe embarrassing, but I, I'm not a fan of OK Computer or the Benz. And maybe just because I missed it, you know, I was just so into Epitaph and Marilyn Manson when when I when people were listening to OK Computer that I just really, really did not like it. And then all of a sudden Kid A came into view and I couldn't I couldn't go back and revisit that catalog as nothing was as to me as great as Kid A. It just changed everything. But you know, I think about that and I think that I had these, if I rewind to like pre-adolescence and go back to my childhood and think about a time when I listened to music before I wanted to make music and just kind of took it for what it was. The things that I loved the most were maybe a little bit, I don't know, ethereal, maybe electronic. I mean, I, I really, really loved Watermark. I remember telling my best friend, Oh, this is so stupid to say out loud. I remember in like fifth grade telling my best friend that I was going to lose my virginity listening to Enya Watermark, <laughs> which is so, so amazing uh, on so many levels. Uh, but that, like that, Enya, like that, that stuff is just in there. It's just always been in there in my head. And I think that maybe hearing Kid A, hearing Bjork, was kind of going back to like early childhood. Like I could hear the instrumental Ooh. passages from songs from the big chair. I could hear the the weirdness of those later Fleetwood Mac records or yeah. Enya for sure. But, and it was like, okay, that this is like where it all started. And now here we are again. I'm angrier. I still want some distortion in there, but yeah. And yeah, you can come back in. You can, you can play with <laughs> us again. Like, and what came out was something like 
today, I think. Yeah. And kind of a gateway drug into a, a lot of really synth-oriented electronic music, not dance, but like synthesizer and experimentation and sound. Maybe, maybe it's all those things, you know, take Enya and the P- Pi soundtrack and Battle of Menti and like the texture of the roads and just leave Deftones aside for a second. And, w- and what you get is somebody that's primed for Apex Twin, Richard D. James album and Boards of Canada. And finally, Tangerine Dream, not because it's kitschy and sounds 80s, but because I, I'm genuinely now enjoying it for the first time. And when Nine Inch Nails put out that ghost record of instrumental tracks, it was like I was ready. I was ready for all that stuff because it was just like swirling in me. But I was I was just stuffing it with punk and metal forever. Yeah. I don't know. It's, I mean, I'm I'm like being really lofty as if these are like these grand things. It's not. It's just like it's just silliness of like a really selfish teenager. But I don't. Know, it's but I'm also a giant nerd. So like it's and I, I'm a giant a giant nerd who vowed to lose his virginity to Enya. So I'm like a, a huge <laughs> dork. So like that's that's just what that's just what it is. I think like to me, it's just connection after connection to who you are as an artist now and you know ever since uh the, what the last decade really with metavari yeah 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 there are there are through lines for sure that yeah. are not hard to follow oh yeah you mentioned bands or artists you know that like tangerine dream boards mm-hmm. of canada that were more electronic and i'm curious like as a musician are you especially with electronic music, typically, you know, whether it's like techno or, or rave, sometimes there's more criticism. And, but with this type of electronic, it, it's, it feels a lot more mature. Mm-hmm. How are you, not that you're critical of it, but just, is there something appreciative that you have uh, towards uh, this type of electronic music? Man, when you're asking me this, that I immediately started thinking about the those early days of like trying to sort out what what the hell that music even was like yeah. the, the soundtrack to Pi, hearing that Amen break for the first time, hearing just the absurd sequencing of Aphex Twins drums and beats, and and it wasn't I. It's like you could hear music before then, and as talented as it was, you can picture how it's pulled off at least, even though if i I know that it's not something that I'm capable of as in my talents but i i can I can think about how it's probably possible, but for some reason with electronic music it was it was always like, I don't know how the hell they do this i don't know <laughs> I don't know how this music is made. It just felt so foreign. I bought my first synthesizer in those first couple of years of college, it was a Moog prodigy and it had two oscillators nice. on it. And I just remember pouring myself over these sound banks where it would just kind of like teach you how to build really simple sounds. And I was learning it for the first time in my life. And, and it wasn't like click. It wasn't like a prodigy. It didn't click for me at all, but it was like kind of seeing how the sausage is made finally. And, and then you would hear that like familiar sounds in the music that you loved and it it kind of pulled the curtain back a little bit and made it feel less 
unobtainable. I got a drum machine in college and I remember just playing with it and, and it, it it made people like Apex Twin more insane because now you were kind of in front of the tools. So you kind of saw how it's happening, but to picture yourself getting from where you were to where they are just made you appreciate them all the more. But I think it's just something about, for me, and maybe it's because I started so influenced by rock and roll that because synthesizer music and electronic music came later, I I just was more blown away by the sound design of all that. And that's what I loved so much about it was like the the world that was created and the, the, the putting on headphones and hearing the massive distance between my ears of what was happening. And it did not feel like rock and roll and it did not feel like anything I had done. And when those worlds collided in something like White Pony, it was just magic, just absolute mm-hmm. magic. To wrap up the, your late 20s, M83, Album Leaf, more post-rock mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. elements are, are speaking to you during this time. And I'm just uh, also curious with like Brian Eno and Steve Reich as well, more composer type like but also with brian having the more electronic elements to it are you just actively seeking out these bands or or like how are you coming across this type of music at this time while also learning how to play (laughs) right right i think thinking about those composers and i mean i think it started with just having keywords that I knew I wanted in the music I was making or the the music that I liked. And that would often bring up kind of like the pinnacle composers in that genre and that, in that world. I mean, obviously that's how you you talk about soundscape for two seconds and someone's going to talk to you about Brian Eno. Oh, totally. (laughs) But then I think as you start playing that music and, you know, playing shows in your hometown. And I think about the early days of like, MySpace with Metavari and our first tours, you're talking to these people at shows and you're not an established band. So you're just all peers. Like you're just, hey, we are no one. If you want to stand and watch us for a second, awesome. And then let's talk. And it was like really great, especially in that time where it's like, there's, I didn't have, I was a late bloomer to like cell phone to smartphones. So we're just Rand McNally on the road meeting people and people would, would ask you, oh, what are your influences? Oh, well, then you've probably heard of yeah. uh, the books, I'm sure. Oh, no, I haven't heard of the books. Oh, you got to check them out. And it's like, or, hey, you sound a lot like Abelie for you trying to rip them off. And it's like, ah, uh, not always. <laughs> <laughs> and you just kind of discover things that way. I think that's yeah. how I found Tangerine Dream and the books. And, oh, I don't know, even Boards of Canada at some level. I mean, I, you know, early days of Metavari, we, were, we still had a very, very heavy rock influence is still guitars and drums and that post-rock there's still electronics happening and people would draw the lines there and you'd just discover so much great music and those things would become influences for sure hmm. yeah it i feel it, it's weird and even now that not that metavari is by like established by any stretch of the imagination but we're just in a very different place and I've had some like really fortunate successes happen. And yeah. at, sometimes at shows, it's really funny the things that people will hear in the music. They'll hear, I've had 
multiple times people draw uh, Nine Inch Nails and a Trent Reznor influence out of it. And it's like, I I am never actively pursuing that, but yet Trent Reznor is like such a hero. So yeah. it's like, is it is it laying in there somewhere? I maybe I don't know. And it's really really strange. Huh. But it's fun now, like that. There's so much more of kind of a library of influence happening, in in the sounds and in the music. People hear a lot of very different things and sometimes it's a bummer and sometimes it's really great and that's just how it goes and i I love it either way it's just it's crazy yeah i i feel like there's um there's just so many post-rock or electronic ambient artists out there that majority of the public has no idea about right over the last 15 years and What's cool too is like even like take a an explosions in the sky that kind of fits the post rock mold probably the mm-hmm. the most kind of like the people's go to when they, yeah, when they yeah. think of that word yeah but even on their last album it's there's a lot of electronic elements to it that is very different from prior albums. And oh, I just, cool. it's really cool to like, but I feel like I see that within the genres, the bands that are classified in those, those genres, it's hard to put a finger on mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what exactly that band or that artist is like. And I I feel like that's the same way with your band as well at times. Yeah. So. Yeah. It, I mean, you know, part of that is just like choosing to keep evolving who yeah. Metabari is and deciding not to change the name has made that confusing. I think, you know, our uh, first record is just extremely different than where we are now. And I often call it like, you know, the other Metabari, but <laughs> that's just, it's just how it goes. Uh, and it, it, it'll continue to change, I'm sure, but it's really fun. I mean, there are so many bands like that. And I, I love that about, you know, especially bands that we were like raised on, how they, they have these eras and bands that, last more than 10 years go through so much evolution that that you know you you become a fan of eras rather than the band as a whole sometimes and that's kind of special too in a strange way what's it like to be in a band and what's what's the recording process look like for you oh that's awesome man it's weird and it it has changed drastically as the years have gone on you know i mean from we were very traditional at first. There, I mean, there were five of us, and we toured, and it was about you know shows, maybe more than recording in a lot of ways, and trying to stay on the road and pursuing you know this like four or five mile driving radius of venues and things. And <laughs> as kind of grown old, you know, like that membership has changed drastically. There have been seasons where it was just me especially when it was just me and Ty for many years and then add like careers and kids to that whole thing. And being a band is just very, very different now, but it's still kind of this thing that's like, it's a hobby in a lot of ways because it's not my career, but at the same time, 
you're like offended when people call it a hobby, even though like, you know, full well that that's kind of what it is. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like, I'm not a career musician, but it's this hobby that extracurricularly I love more than anything else I'm doing in that zone. And, and as opportunity has happened and we've gotten to put out records and do the tours that we've done, it's kind of become this little machine that just now kind of sustains itself. And it's, uh, incredible to have a, a studio where I get to go and write and just kind of pour myself into in that in that way as now this like adult that's almost 40 and has a kid and Ty you know who, who started this project with me is now no longer with us so there's like this hole there like obviously in our lives but in in the band but yet it things are kind of like dedicated to him in this posthumous kind of way where I I still think about him a lot and like what he would say what his hands would do and it's just this weird chapter right now writing music feels very therapeutic but yet it feels larger than it than it ever has like I feel more sure of myself and proud of of what i'm in the middle of i mm. i i it's been really hard for me to like, like the, the proudest that i've been in a season of of metavari i for for whatever reason i have this thing in my head telling me like don't don't be too proud because like you still suck like you you're not you're not like no matter how great you're getting you're still like all these notches below all the the things that you're influenced by and the people you surround yourself with and I don't, I don't know why that's in there but it's like this it's not even like humility it's just like low self-esteem at some level mm-hmm. but i remember going on tour at the band that ty and i really loved and the singer actually it may have been mike adams from husband and wife and later mike adams at his honest way but i remember him saying like dude you are so hard on yourself at stage like do you seriously hate yourself like the things that come out of your mouth are like crazy like just just tell people you like your music otherwise they're not going to like it either i was like i don't know i don't know why i like hate my music so much it's just like this weird thing in me that like has just something has changed in these last couple records where i'm just trying to be more confident in what i'm doing and be able to like put out a record and say like i i really love this and i think this is good music and if that's too egotistical whoopsie but I love it. So here, here you go. Yeah. And it's like, and now just kind of here on the, the other side of, or, I mean, 2020 is just a garbage fire in so many ways, <laughs> but like to be on the other side of Ty's death and working with our, uh, the newest member is um, percussionist Colin Boyd, who is studied and influenced by jazz and a lot of avant-garde technique. Ooh. And we toured together last year and it was uh, yet another kind of, I don't know, light bulb in a lot of ways of like, all right, that that's the season we're in now. We're going to incorporate this level of percussion and experimentation and nice. we're going to get you some triggers and <laughs> go crazy. And that's like what we're getting ready to head into now. And to, to do that, whatever it's been, 12, 13 years later, and to do that without Ty is awful in a lot of ways, but it's also just, just trying to embrace the, that's where we are and that's still Metavari and looks very different than five years ago and it looks 
unbelievably different than 10 years ago, but it's still Minavari and it's still a huge blessing to be able to do this at all. And the fact that it would, you know, make me any money. The fact that it would break, I remember the, the days that it started breaking even was like, holy shit, well, I'm not broke from my band. Amazing, let's keep touring. And now it's like, I want to buy this toy. Okay, then we'll tour or we'll do these shows. And then the toy is bought. And it's like, oh, that, that, all right, we're I'm in a band that makes money now. Here we go. Like, we're going to be rich. We're not. We're not, we're not ever going to be rich. But <laughs> it's, uh, I don't know. It's very, it's, Metavari has been the slowest of slow burns, but it's a, a really, really beautiful thing that I feel really, really grateful to have in my life at all. Yeah. <laughs> that just seems like, uh, you know, hearing from you that this is something that you're really passionate about and that ultimately success isn't really a, a benchmarker for you. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, that's not to say that there weren't times in my life when like, you know, being in a punk rock band and oh yeah yeah wanting not like wanting to be famous like was surely a, a thing but i think that um rea- reality has long since set in and now it's like i see how this machine is sustaining itself but how it's still growing and that feels like success that that yeah. in itself is like fame in a different kind of way and to be able to put out the records through the distribution channels and through the labels that we get to work with is is insane i i I would not have guessed that at some of the darker times in metaphor's life so it's yeah i just really trying to embrace it and and yet be proud and not feel silly to say like i i really love what we're working on and it, it it feels really big and appropriate for where we are yeah totally so you, you mentioned Metavari is not like your your full time job, and but you are a like a creative designer for yeah other you know music artists. So for example, I think you've done like Smashing Pumpkins artwork, right? Yeah, yep. I think you did Weezer, and like even recently Krungbin. Yep. Mm-hmm. What's that been like to be? in that side of the music industry it's crazy so i i kind of have two standing gigs in my life i have a a salaried position at a record labels art department i'm one of the art directors there and i get to kind of oversee the packaging and the direction for album cycles for bands on jag jaguar dead oceans and secretly canadian and then kind of in an after hours gig really fortunate to get brought along into a company called Tension Division. It's run by a good friend of mine, Brandon Reich. And they do kind of like really high level creative direction and also design for many, many facets of a band's cycle from packaging to live show, video, merch, all of the above. So it's kind of, it runs me ragged when both machines are are firing on all cylinders, but it's this crazy thing to get to be a part of, to to be uh, an active musician and then work with career musicians in that way. Like some of them are independent artists who are just kind of like finding themselves and kind of getting that foothold as career musicians. Other ones like Smashing Pumpkins obviously are 
larger than life and at times have been also like big influences of my own life which is insane to then be able to get to work with them that package in particular was a really really cool season you had this kind of cool moment where you got to see the boss <laughs> and tell the story of, of what happened yeah. okay. uh, seeing bruce springsteen so i I worked at an advertising agency in Fort Wayne, Indiana for a long time, I think almost eight years, and leaving there about six years ago to work for um, Secretly Group or now was really bittersweet. Uh, that that entire team was like family to me. The owner in particular t- to this day is like a, a big brother. And so at the time, there's a transitioning out of the company. It was like, let's just do this big old thing and i'm going to get you tickets to bruce springsteen in columbus matt (laughs) kelly the owner of that company one lucky guitar loves bruce springsteen i i would i mean i certainly like bruce springsteen but he kind of sold him to me in a new light and uh the love that i have for bruce now is very much because of matt and my time at one lucky guitar so we went to this show uh, a bunch of us just carpooled saddled up went down there got tickets i don't know what you call it in the pit it was amazing. It was it was larger than life. I felt like I was watching a superhero. I felt like I was watching like the second coming of Christ. Like the way he <laughs> held himself on stage. Half the times it was, it was like my my eyes were just like couldn't even see straight. Were just glassed over by like this creature in front of me. Just I, I mean, it, it he doesn't need to hear that any more than he probably already does. But like man he can he can put on a show and he can sell it and it was i was sold and i, I remember at one point i'm just like i he's near me i'm like shoulders are basically on the stage and i'm trying to just turn around and take a selfie of like his knees behind me and i cannot find him i've lost him but i feel stupid now because all these people are i'm staring at all these people <laughs> in front of me so i'm just like moving my my phone everywhere trying to find his damn knees and what had happened was he saw it happening and he crouched down and he's crawling behind me until boom, his head is on my shoulder and just both of our, our heads are right there on the phone. It's like, there he is. There's the boss. And I'm just taking 5,000 photos as fast as I can, like trying not to cry. And it was, it was awesome. He's, I mean, he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's up to. He, he gives you what you paid for. And yeah. uh, it was great. It was great. That's amazing. Pretty jealous too, but in yeah. a, you know, in a good way. totally he's an artist i have not seen live and definitely want to change that so oh yeah you gotta make i mean i i've I've told people now even now like if you're like mildly a springsteen fan just you get then you got to do it because that's all that's all the all the ounces you need he'll he'll take it from there (laughs) yeah (laughs) what is it about music that is so impactful for us why do we listen to it Man, so, so many great reasons. I think, I think there's a, a teleportation in there. You know, there's an escape. I, I think there's something about that kind of cinematic quality of things. And, and that, that could be top 40 for people, and that's completely fine, but it's still soundtracking your life. And I love how our brains remember those seasons where certain artists and certain records were important to us and mm. and and like really memorize that season and then forever 
it's like it, white pony is just forever now those early 2000s and Aphex Twin, Richard D. James is me meeting my wife and Tears for Fears, Songs from the Big Chair is moving to California and it's just just how our brains work and it's so cool that that weird soft tissue does that somehow. And yeah. It's just such a, a great thing that we are human and we get to have that part of our <laughs> brain do that for us and like catalog these these journeys and like soundtrack it and remember it we're we're very fortunate and i i think it it really like regardless of how much you think you're into music or whether you're a, a snob like me or whether <laughs> it's just a casual listener i i know that your brain does that no matter who you are and it's awesome well nate thanks for for doing this it yeah awesome absolutely to, to be able to do this you're so welcome thank you for thinking of me Thank you for listening to Soundtrack with Kyle Lichty. Each person interviewed has created a playlist of the very songs that have impacted their life. If you are interested in listening to their playlist, you can head straight to our website at soundtrack.fireside.fm. Click on Soundtrack Playlist and it will take you straight to their playlist on Spotify. If you like the podcast and want to know more, check out our Instagram at at Soundtrack Podcast, or leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. Join us next time on Soundtrack.